Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. When the pandemic hit in 2020 and everything shut down, hundreds of thousands of people in the U.S. reacted in a surprising way. They started new businesses. This isn't just some, some anecdotal thing, right? You can see it in the data. In 2020, the rate of new business formation went through the roof. Now... Two and a half years later, the economy has reopened. Things are sort of back to normal. But entrepreneurship hasn't died down that much. The rate of new business formation is still way up from where it was before the pandemic. In a world that feels scarier and riskier than ever, people are more willing than ever to bet on themselves. They're becoming entrepreneurs. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem? the show where entrepreneurs and engineers talk about how they're going to change the world once they solve a few problems. My guest today is Harley Finkelstein, a man who may love entrepreneurship more than anyone I have ever met. And this trait is a good fit for his job. Harley is the president of Shopify. Shopify started out building software that makes it easy for people to start online stores. Today, millions of stores use Shopify, and the company's trying to solve a new problem. How do you aggregate the power of millions of small businesses to help them compete against giants? My conversation with Harley started with the beginnings of his life as an entrepreneur. He was a kid who was so impressed by the DJs he saw playing at his friend's bar mitzvahs that he started his own DJ company. I started a DJ company because I want to be a DJ and nobody would hire me. Uh-huh. And how old were you? 13. Uh-huh. And it was my dad that said, why don't you start your own company, hire yourself? And so I did. And actually, well, my dad did. My dad didn't have, my parents didn't have very much money, but my dad made me a business card. And on the business card, it said, Harley Finkelstein, DJ. And that was the endorsement or the validation, whatever you want to call it, that I needed to have the chutzpah or audacity to walk next door to my neighbor and say, um, can I DJ your son's bar mitzvah? And what'd they say? They said no. 
<laughs> and so then, I mean, were you always starting companies? Was it just, can, can you draw a line from there to, to starting a t-shirt company when you're in college? Yeah, during during high school, um, I wasn't yeah uh, I wasn't really in sports. I wasn't really into like you know um, different like school clubs. I was I was an entrepreneur, and so I was always trying to start different companies. I started a bunch of smaller ones that didn't work out. I started a poker chip company, uh, making poker chips. I started a company that had uh, was a slipper company called Woolen Stock. Didn't do very well. Uh, I started a bunch of small little side hustles like that, but it was only in college um, when I was I went to McGill in two thousand one where I needed to actually start something for real because my mom and sisters, my dad wasn't around anymore. Mom and sisters needed needed the support financially. And that's when I started making t-shirts for universities. And that was really the first business that made any real money. Can you give me, I feel like there's this very like rom-com meet cute of how you get to Shopify. There is. Um, I, don't, I don't know if it's rom-com. It's, it's, but, rom, it's, a, it's a meet cute. Um, I moved to Ottawa in 2005 to go to law school, not to become a lawyer, but to become a better entrepreneur. Ottawa, Canada, Ottawa, for Canada. Our American listeners. That's right, yeah. Mentor of mine told me the t-shirt business uh, was cute, uh, but did, never really had any real potential of scale. And he was teaching law the next year at the University of Ottawa as a guest lecturer. Convinced me that law school might be like finishing school for entrepreneurship. And, and it very much was. Moved to Ottawa, Canada in 2005. Had no friends, had no family there. Asked where the entrepreneurs hung out and was directed to a coffee shop in a small little area of Ottawa called the Glebe. And I walk in, there were five other entrepreneurs. And one of those entrepreneurs was this brilliant programmer named Tobias Lutke. And he had just moved to Canada uh, a year or two earlier because he met a girl in Canada. And couldn't work because he didn't have his working papers. So started a business selling snowboards on the internet. And in 2004, there was two ways to sell a product on the internet. Um, You either posted your products on a marketplace or you paid some big enterprise e- software company millions of dollars a, to build a, your a marketplace like eBay or was Amazon even Am- a marketplace? Amazon wasn't really then? a marketplace. So then, basically yeah. eBay. eBay. There was a couple others like that, yeah. but 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 eBay. That's exactly right. The alternative was you would um, you would go and spend I don't know a million dollars with IBM. They had a product called WebSphere or ATG or or SAP. These big companies, and he didn't have a million dollars, so he wrote a piece of software to sell these snowboards, and very quickly realized that. Other people may also want to use the software to sell their own products. And I was one of those first people. I became one of the first merchants on Shopify. And I moved my t-shirt business to Shopify in 2006. And so in 2009, I called Toby and said, I'd love to join you and a small handful of other people and help you build this company and make it easier for more people to try their hand in entrepreneurship. And uh, that was about 12 or 13 years ago. Great. And so Shopify now is, is giant, right? And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like for most people, Shopify is invisible. It's maybe like the way, you know, Intel was in 1990 before they started putting their name on every computer or something. Shopify is the thing behind the thing. So it's, I mean, it seems like pretty close to if you've bought something online and it wasn't Amazon and it wasn't Walmart, it was probably a Shopify store, right? There's a good chance it's a store that's running Shopify. But just so... Briefly, like what's the briefest version of what is Shopify? Shopify is the easiest way to sell a product to um, a consumer. And the vast majority of our merchants use us to sell online. And as we've grown, we're now 10% of all e-commerce in the US. As we've grown, one of the things we've also done is try to figure out what are the other elements of starting and running and scaling a business that is difficult. So whether it's um, accepting payments 
or it's shipping, or it's raising money, having capital. We've gone ahead and gone to these other, what we call merchant solutions. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to use our, our, our size, our economy of scale being this you know 10% of all e-commerce, which technically, if we were a retailer, we would be the second largest online retailer in America, just given our, our sales volume. So companies using Shopify sell more stuff than anybody else online except Amazon. That's right. Yeah, that means? that's yeah. exactly right. So if you, you know, compare to Target, for example, or compare to Best Buy, Shopify in aggregate stores sells more than those places. So when we go negotiate rates on payments or on shipping or on capital, we're doing so as effectively the second largest online retailer in America. And then we give those economies a scale directly to the entrepreneurs. And we think that's what really helps them level the playing field. So to like get a sense of the, the scope of what you do, I thought it would be useful to to just talk through an example, sure. right? So I have this podcast. It's called What's Your Problem? And like, we don't have any merch. Yeah, why not? Why not? Indeed. Yeah. yeah. So let's... White t-shirts or black t-shirts. Sure. Or like, we could have fun with it, right? We could like have like a magic eight ball that says, what's your problem? And it has, you know, answers. You're, you're not grinding hard enough or you haven't found product market fit or whatever. Uh, so say I come to Shopify, sign up for Shopify, like what is the set of things you can do for me? Yeah. So you come to Shopify.com and uh, for uh, for $29, you can set up a beautiful online store. You can pick a theme or you can design your own theme and you can start adding products. You can say, I'm going to add this hat or this t-shirt, this water bottle, or uh, you can, in fact, if, you, if you're if you not sure exactly what's going to resonate, um, ironically around the product market fit uh, example you gave, you can actually do something called print on demand where you actually put up a bunch of shirts without even making those shirts yet. And the ones that sell will get printed automatically and then drop shipped to, your, to the consumer. But you come on, you build this beautiful store and in a matter of an hour, you have, you know, jacobsmerch.com all set up. What's your problem? And what, com. Okay, what's yeah. your problem? Sure. Um, what's your problem.com? Although, is that taken? I'm sure it is. Okay. Uh, what's so your problem.fm? Or like dot cheesy co- podcast. Okay, that's yeah. good. Or .co or something yeah. like that. Um, and so uh, you set up your online store, you add inventory, you set up your payment gateway, uh, and now you're ready to sell. Uh, now you can launch a marketing campaign. You can post ads on Facebook or Instagram or Google from there or, or TikTok or Snapchat or anywhere for that matter. When orders come in, you go to your Shopify admin, and that really is your central uh, retail operating system. That's sort of the the, the uh, central nervous system of your of your business. And orders come in, you can fulfill them. You can use Shopify to do fulfillment. You can use us to buy shipping labels. If you want to see where your traffic is coming from and you want to understand... So I just, wa- I just yeah. want to slow down a little bit there. So... When you say I can use Shopify to do fulfillment, this is like new-ish for you, right? The, Fairly the, new, The yeah. stuff you described up until then feels like sort of Shopify classic, right? It's like all the online stuff. It's all the just software stuff. And I feel like there is this shift you're making now into the physical world in a number of dimensions, right? And fulfillment is a piece of that. You had an acquisition last year, right? That's right. So fulfillment seems... Obviously, it's hard to write software, but software is like famously a good business, right? You write the software once and then you can sell it as many times as you want. There's no marginal cost. Fulfillment seems harder, if I if I dare yeah. say so. I mean, tell me about getting into that side of the business. Yes. So what does it mean that you can do my fulfillment? Yeah, sure. So uh, just take a step back for a second. While the internet sort of democratized a lot of things, the one thing it didn't really do very well was help with sort of, you know, atoms, uh, where yeah. software is bits and bytes, atoms and moving product that didn't actually get better through the advent of the internet. 
But going back to that conversation we were having a few minutes ago, because we now have such scale, because we are 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., we thought about this. We're like, well, what if we can actually help small businesses and larger businesses with fulfillment? And so we began to create this network of third-party warehouses where we tie them together using our software. It's called FMS, Fulfillment Management Software. And any... um, any third-party logistics company can apply to be part of this logistics network. And, and third-party logistics is another giant kind of behind-the-curtain industry. Exactly. It, right? it, it's, who, it's who ships you everything. Yeah. But the idea is not necessarily that we wanted to get into logistics. It's that it's one of those barriers to success that we thought we can play a role in. So I'm curious, as you're expanding into these different parts of business, basically, what's What's been particularly hard? What are you still trying to figure out how to do? What what went wrong? What was harder than you expected? Um, initially, we decided we don't want to build our own warehouses. It's just the, the business model that we are using is different than Amazon. We are not doing one-day delivery. We don't think we need to own everything ourselves. And so fundamentally, we thought, um, hey, there are all these warehouses all over the place that are empty. What if we made them part of the network and, and effectively configured them uh, using our software? Not every partner warehouse was very good. Some of them actually were really bad. But because we were using a network of warehouses and because Shopify's brand was the thing connecting all these things, even if it was a third-party warehouse, we were responsible. And in the first couple of, of in the first year or so of, of, of fulfillment and shipping at Shopify, we really noticed that some of the warehouses were just not hitting a quality control standard. And so we had to take some of them offline. And that and, was... And does that mean, I mean, does that mean basically customers don't get stuff when they're told they'll get stuff or it's broken? It or, could I mean, be a combination that, of things. So yeah. if, if they're doing some sort of like what's, what's called custom kitting, where they need to sort of, um, the product has to look, let's say you want to, you know, for your merch uh, company, you want to send out the, uh, your box with stickers on it. Uh-huh. Maybe the stickers are misplaced. Maybe it doesn't get there on time. Maybe it's the wrong product. Maybe it's broken. It could be a combination of all those things. But we actually had to pull some partners out of the network because they weren't hitting a certain quality control thing, which again, even though we're leveraging third parties from the merch perspective, the millions of merchants that use Shopify, they don't really care whose sure. fault it is. Because their all, customers it's, don't care. It's right? always Shopify's fault. Yeah. And yeah. that was really, really challenging for us. I mean, it is extraordinary. Like, fundamentally there, you're competing against Amazon, right? And like, Amazon is so good at that. It's unbelievable. Like, I'm old enough to remember ordering things before Amazon existed, right? And they're so much better than anything that came before. And you have to be at least that good. Yeah. I'm not, I'm, so I, I um, respectfully disagree. I, I don't think we actually have to be, we, we have to be, uh, we have to be as good a thing we do, but what we don't have to do is we don't have to focus on like, like this thing, this one day delivery thing is just not that important for most yeah. merchants, most consumers. You have to be that reliable and that uh, good exactly. at, at doing what you say you'll do. That's like, an, yeah. It, Amazon is extraordinary at that. For Shopify, people's livelihoods are at stake. And because people's livelihoods are at stake, Shopify, for most of the merchants on Shop, for the millions of merchants, we are the most important piece of software they use. And so the term you use is exactly the right one. We have to be reliable. And I think we've done that really, really well, but, but that is a constant challenge. After the break, Harley talks about the challenges of growth and of layoffs. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools 
to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. Okay, 10 seconds. How many things can you name that are always growing? The universe, easy one. Um, my kids, so far. Uh, To-do lists. Uh, for this month, my sugar snap peas. I know that's not always. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you one more. Businesses on Shopify. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. There are key moments in every endeavor. I ask pretty much everybody I interview on this show about their key moments, their breakthroughs, their failures, their turnarounds, and Shopify can be there for you at all of your key moments. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash problem. Go to shopify.com slash problem now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash problem. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Now, back to the show. So what's what's like the next thing you're trying to do? Mm. Like what? So that's so you you. I mean, do you have the the warehouse situation is under oh, yeah, control that's, now? That's that you got that's in a really good place. What's We're the next one? What's the new yeah. warehouse problem for you? Yeah, and there's always new new sort of merchant challenges to solve. I mean, anyone who's been following the news knows that Apple has made um, advertising and particularly privacy changes that make it more difficult to target a particular consumer. So. For example, I, I love riding motorized skateboards. I've been a motorized skateboard guy for a very, very long time. Um, my interests uh, are technology because I, I, you know, I lead a technology company and skateboarding. And so if you are boosted board or you're one wheel, do you know those companies? Uh, those? Yeah, the one wheel is like the the guy on one wheel. Yeah, one wheel, yeah you see them It looks like they're like, it's the About thing of the fall future. Down. Right? It, it looks really cool. Yeah, and it's the, like the a cool The boosted board, it's just like a skateboard, but the dude's not pushing. Exactly, right? it has yeah. motorized. Right? Yeah. So if you're boosted board or you're one wheel, the Venn diagram overlap of Harley's interests, which is technology and skateboard, I am the perfect ideal customer for it. So they can target me really, really well. Well, that has become a lot more difficult now because of some of the change that Apple has made. So um, what, what ROAS... Basically, it's harder for them to target you on like Facebook Yeah, and they can target That's me because like, maybe I share... That's fundamentally what it means, right? Exactly. It's much harder to buy targeted 
Facebook and Instagram ads. That's exactly right. So that has made it more difficult, more challenging for small businesses to to find their their target customers. What we figured out was, well, if we look at um, all, Shopify as a whole, we actually have a lot of good indication, a lot of good insight on the type of customers that might be right for your particular product. So if you're on Shopify, uh, and Shopify Plus in particular, where this product, this, this feature sits, you can say, I want to sell more of these three products here. I have 10 SKUs, but I want to sell more of these three SKUs. You feed it into the audience's algorithm. We feed you back with a sample audience or a lookalike audience. And now when you're buying ads on some of these ad platforms, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or any of the others, Google, for example, you don't just upload your product description and your product photography and your meta information. You also upload this lookalike audience. And we know by doing so, you will get a higher return ad spend. And are you, I mean, that's sort of the kind of ad targeting version of your big idea, which is aggregating, which is scale, basically, right? It's bringing the power of scale to small businesses, right? That's, when the, you, that's the big idea. Yeah, yeah, when you combine a lot of tiny little lights, you end up with the sun, is, is an expression I've heard. Yeah, it's a bit you much, know, but uh, yeah. But, but a, a, lot, a lot of tiny little lights. Yeah. But more importantly, think about it this way. Um, when you sell in a marketplace, if you're a brand you are able to leverage the economy of scale of that marketplace. And you sell in a marketplace like Amazon. Like, like any, any or marketplace. Or eBay or something Yeah, like or that. Etsy yeah. or any of those. Yeah. You get to leverage the economies of scale of those marketplaces. Yeah. When you build a custom online store on your own, you get independence. Right. You own your customers. You own your customers. Yeah. You own everything. On Shopify, you get both. You get independence and you get this massive economies of scale. And we think that makes us a really unique company. You seem very confident. Whether you oh, actually are you. not. You have a very confident vibe. Oh, thank but you. But I'm curious, like what... What are you worried about, right? You're running this big company. It's been tough times in various ways. When you think about the company, what, what worries you? Uh, a bunch of things. Um, we're now, um, you know, we have about 10,000 people that work at the company uh, today. That's, uh, that's a lot of people making sure everyone's working at the right thing at the right time. That is obviously, you know, how do you scale culture? That's one thing. The second thing that I worry about is um, I think that it is getting harder for, in some cases for small businesses to grow and to succeed. I think there's a lot of aggregation happening. And I think that it's like, I think for, as a consumer, I'll say this, not even as a president of Shopify, I think for retail to be interesting and exciting, it needs to have more voices, not less. And I think there are some times where I worry about that, whether or not we're all just going to end up wearing the exact same basic thing. The other one is, it's more about the macro environment, right? I mean... Uh, your stock is down a lot, like a lot of other growth companies. And maybe more importantly, like a lot of other growth companies, you had to lay off a lot of people recently after sort of making a big bet on growth. Tell me about that. I mean, tell me about sort of the bet you made and what worked out and what didn't work yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, that was um, you know, one of the most challenging days of, of, thing, of, of any leader's life is to do layoffs. And we laid off about 10% of our, of our team uh, a couple months ago. When the pandemic started, uh, let's call it March 2020, March 2020, pandemic starts, all these physical retailers have to shut down their stores. And most of them did not have another channel to sell by. And so their business went from whatever it was doing to zero. And we were really fortunate to be the recipients of most of that business. Most of those retailers that, that shut down their physical stores to move online came to Shopify. And very quickly, they opened up these beautiful online stores and started selling. And in some cases, and we don't take any credit for it, but we certainly, you know, we helped ensure the business continued. When, uh, as things continued through the pandemic, it was clear that e-commerce was playing a much larger role, both in the lives of consumers and also in the lives of retailers. There's, a, there's an equation that a lot of people monitor, which is e-commerce as a percentage of total retail. So the numerator in that equation is e-commerce, and the denominator is all of retail. When the pandemic hit, two things happened. E-commerce went up, and the denominator went down because you sure. pulled out all physical retail. 
so it looked for 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 some time that like e-commerce was everything and it, and it was we knew that that was not going to stay but we did think that the growth rate that we saw in 2020-21 was more reflective of what it would be in the future. Uh-huh. You thought that pandemic era growth would persist, not just that people would not, stay, but that the growth rate yeah, would we, stay we, really we, high. Yeah, we knew that the new baseline would stay, but we also yeah. thought it would just it would just increase. And so we staffed up accordingly, both support people and sales people, and, and those are really the two groups we staffed up. And then at the beginning of this year, in 2022, we realized that, okay, it looks like the growth rate of e-commerce is going to return to a more normalized place circa like 2019, like before the pandemic. So the growth rate's going to slow down. The growth rate's going to slow, but it, I mean, it's going to slow to what it was pre-pandemic, but on a much larger base because the rest of the e-commerce, like adoption is not going to go away. Yeah. And so we, you know, we had this insight and we said, look, we took a bet that it was going to, the growth rate was going to increase. It didn't increase as much as we thought, although it did, it, it's still quite high. Um, and so we had to make those changes. And that was really, really challenging. In a minute, the lightning round, including praise for micromanagers and the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. And now a word from the show's sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. The automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. 
Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Okay, back to the show. We're going to close with a lightning round. Um, you were a bar mitzvah DJ, bar and bat mitzvah DJ. I was. What's the one song that's best for getting everybody on the dance floor? September, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, I heard another interview you did where you sort of made the case for micromanaging. And I loved it because it's, it's nice and contrary. It's like the backlash to the backlash. So, so give it to me. Give me the case in favor of micromanaging. The best managers I know are able to work sort of at the 40,000 foot view, set strategy, set the direction, you know, make sure that people are in the right. So, so that's that's macro managing. Yeah, so macro, far, yeah, so that's good. right. Yeah. Yeah. But also, sometimes they have to get into the details. And I think the best leaders and managers I've ever I've ever worked with, uh, they get into the details when they, they need to. Uh, some of the worst managers don't get into the details and they only sort uh-huh. of work at the 40,000 foot view. And, and even Toby, like sometimes he writes code. Um, there are times where I look at a press release or I look at something that's about to go out and I rewrite the sentence word for word uh, or, or, you know, I wordsmith it myself because I don't think it's good enough. And I, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that there's this 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 hate on micromanagement. And I don't really mean micromanagement like you, you need to, you don't trust the people that work for you. What I mean is it is important for leaders to get into the details when it calls for it. What's the best thing about running a tech company in Ottawa, Canada? Less distraction. Huh. What's the worst thing? Less inspiration. What's one thing I should do if I'm in Ottawa in, say, January? Skate on the Rideau Canal, the largest skating rink in the world. That's a good one. And come for dinner at my house. Okay, thank you. What, in your experience, has been the hardest thing about being an entrepreneur? Running a company at scale like Shopify forces you to get really, really good at something. It also makes you get really, really good at being self-aware for the things you're not good at and either hiring people that are better at, at it than you are um, or, you know, um, I don't know, finding, outsourcing it, I guess, to someone else. What part of your job are you, in fact, really good at? And what part of your job did you realize, oh, I'm actually not good at that, and I should get somebody else to do that part of the job? Yeah, there was a period of time that uh, I was like chief operating officer of Shopify, and I don't think I was especially good traditional chief operating officer. Um, I don't live in the details all the time. I tend to think about, like, I... L- not f- that into process? My favorite thing in the world to do is to tell, the reason I'm on this podcast, the reason I love doing this show with you, and I'll stay on for five hours if you'll have me, is I love telling the story of Shopify. I think the story of Shopify is fundamentally the story of entrepreneurship. And no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, what your background is, entrepreneurship has touched most of us. My, my parents are immigrant. My father's an immigrant. My grandparents are Holocaust survivors. They didn't call it entrepreneurship, but starting a business was their means of survival. And the fact that I get to spend my life now helping other people find their own versions of success and survival is pretty damn incredible. So is that the part of your job that you like is telling the story? Is yeah, that, yeah, by far. What's, uh, what's one piece of advice you'd give to somebody trying to solve a hard problem? I think a lot of people that are trying to solve hard problems, um, foundationally, because we're human, feel fear failure. One of the things that I often think about is like, what is the cost of failing at this particular thing? If the cost of failing at this particular thing is not that bad. You might as well just go for it full steam ahead. If the cost of failure is like, you know, your family won't eat that night or you can't pay your mortgage, that's something you should consider. But I think that I'm just, just bringing it back to entrepreneurship. I think that right now the cost of failure 
of starting a business is as low as it's ever been in the history of the world. And so if you try a Shopify store or you try starting a business selling lemonade in, in Manhattan and it doesn't work, maybe try hot dogs and maybe try pretzels after that. That is something that wasn't available to um, to previous generations. They just There was too much leverage involved. And just to flesh that out, I mean, the idea is you can start a business now with almost no money, right? With almost no capital. You don't have to buy a factory. You don't have to even buy a cart, right? You, you, just, you just need a computer and an internet you don't have to buy. Basically. You don't have to buy inventory. I feel like there is some sharp, interesting entrepreneurship question that I could ask you and that I haven't quite nailed. Um, what is it? Is entrepreneurship easy? Do most entrepreneurs fail? Maybe. Will you give me a surprising answer? Is entrepreneurship easy? No. Well, that's not the surprising answer. Okay. Uh, interesting. Well, I mean, I think that um, most people, there's a glamorizing of entrepreneurship generally. And I think um, the reason that I, 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 I thought that was the right question to ask was, I actually, I, I think entrepreneurship is still very, very difficult. It's slightly less difficult now than it was. It's slightly less expensive now than it was, but it's still very, very difficult. And so I think all the glamorizing, whether it's through, you know, my friend is Damon John, so I'll be careful here. But like, I think Shark Tank is an amazing show, but it glamorizes entrepreneurship. It is really difficult. What's the sort of underappreciated hard thing about being an entrepreneur? Loneliness. It's a lonely, it's a, it's a, it's a lonely sport. And um, I don't think that gets talked about at all. I mean, entrepreneurship, you are, you are by yourself for the most part. You may have a co-founder, but, but most people don't, and at least when they get started. And even if you're a co-founder, it's just the two of you. Um, there's a loneliness to it. Um, anything else you want to talk about? I'd like you to start a merch store. I'm not out okay. on starting a merch store. Okay. Uh, I'm really not. I mean, you what, know, what, what, advertising what, is a is a tough business. It's very cyclical. Maybe well, actually, a you, you know, you have a built-in advertising, like what they call these viral loops. You kind of have a built-in viral loop here with your I own do podcast. Have a platform, right? You yes. have a platform. You have yes. a podcast. I do think. What's uh, your problem? I mean, even just a shirt that says "What's your problem?" I don't know if it's like too aggressive I actually, on a shirt. Well, it depends but... how you, how you say. It. Like, it's like "What's your problem?" Winky face, and then you had another one also, which is uh, "Have you found product market fit?" Well, that is a possible problem. I mean, there's a list of possible problems. Haven't found product market fit. Not grinding hard enough. I don't know. You tell me. What are other oh, classic problems? Oh, I hate problems? that term. I don't know. Like, not, not grinding yeah, okay, hard enough. Okay, you give me a good enough. one. What are, what mean, are I, possible I, I, answers for the entrepreneur to the question, what's your problem? Uh, what's your problem? Um, like, if we make a, like, a magic eight ball, has mm -hmm. different answers come up? I can't get my shipping done on time. I don't know. I'm trying. Uh, it's what actually. It's, it's a very fascinating issue. You can almost sort of do like like. There's a whole other game version of 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 your merch store, which is like like what is your problem for business? Like you have a problem with capital. You have a problem with like I can't accept payments, or I'm selling I'm selling CBD and no payment gateway will transact my product, or uh, I'm getting a bunch of returns, um, or I have a coupon code and it got leaked on the internet on Reddit and now everyone's getting forty percent discounts. I, I feel like we're we're designing a Monopoly for the 21st century. Kind of cool. Yeah, I'm not out. I, I I really quite like it. It is interesting though. I mean, this is total aside, but maybe interesting. The merch store thing is fascinating because if you go back and you think about like merch, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, there really was a sense like merch was promotional product. Uh huh. And I think something is deeply changed around promotional uh, around merch. It's no longer promotional product. And the best example I can give you is. We have about 12 stores from the Kardashian-Jenner group, right? Those are from good stores very to have. Good, I mean, these yeah. are amazing businesses yeah. from, you know, Kylie Cosmetics to Skins to Skims to Good American across the board. 
And I remember when they were first announcing that they were going to launch these stores and the initial reaction by the market, by the public was, yeah, these are just going to be gimmicky kind of promotional things. But actually, in some cases, like Kylie Cosmetics is now one of the largest cosmetics companies on the planet. Uh, You're Jim, telling me I'm not thinking big enough. Well, I'm going to have to figure out a thing I really believe in. Mm, interesting. Maybe a Magic 8-Ball. Uh, it's a fun one. That's the a Magic 8-Ball is a fun one. Harley Finkelstein is the president of Shopify. I do want to sell some merch. So, you want to buy some? If you want a Magic 8-Ball or something else, let us know. Email us at problem at pushkin.fm, or you can find me on Twitter at Jacob Goldstein. Today's show was produced by Edith Russelo, edited by Robert Smith, and engineered by Amanda K. Wong. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and we'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. If you're looking for a new podcast but don't know where to start, here's one you can add to your list. The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show is aimed at making you a better informed critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening. Jordan talks to everyone from neuroscientists to CEOs to astronauts, authors, and performers. You might enjoy Jordan's interview with historian Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind, or his episode with Fool Me Once author Kelly Richmond Pope on how fraud became a trillion-dollar industry. Whether Jordan's conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life in every episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way, or it could just be discovering a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts.